0: All right. So I'm so excited. Thank you, Dr. Ramon, for um, being on this conversation today. And this is something very personal to me because last year, December of 19, well, we're in 2020, December of 2020, I'm sorry, um, I had a um, histioscopic um, myelectomy. I had fibroids. And, you know, initially, yes. And so today we're kind of talking on the topic of fibroids, um, let us know who you are, You know your expertise and all that good
1: stuff. Okay, well, thank you for having me. Thank you, I, I appreciate the invitation and I will do my best to try to shed some light on the subject because for black women, fibroids is a very big deal. Um, but a little bit about myself, I am a board certified OB-GYN. I have been in clinical practice probably more years than I wanna say at this point. (laughs) And right now I have a, uh, I call it a boutique GYN practice in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And I focus and I see all women, all ages, but the focus, the specialty is midlife female care. And midlife is 40 to 64. A lot of things happen to women in that age group. abnormal bleeding, fibroids become symptomatic, perimenopause, menopause, it just goes on and on. So my focus is midlife female care, pelvic, vaginal, sexual health. And one of the big deals are fibroids. Mm -hmm. And when I say fibroids, the word is very familiar to women but they're not always certain what it is. And so I need to start off by saying fibroids are not cancer, although they are solid growths that develop within the muscular wall of the uterus, of the womb. Sometimes they can grow on the outside surface, sometimes they grow within the wall, and sometimes they can actually push into the cavity of the uterus. When someone has a submucosal fibroid, that's a fibroid that's pushing into the cavity. And often that woman might have a hysteroscopic myomectomy to remove that fibroid that's pushing into the cavity. And so fibroids can, Um, grow to great sizes, sometimes fibroids are on the outside surface, and they can grow so large that a woman might even look as though she's pregnant. And so, because they are so common, one of the symptoms that we often see associated with fibroids are pain, and the pain can be in a variety of places depending on the location of the fibroids. If you have a large fibroid pressing on your left side, you might have left side pain. If you have a fibroid that's pressing on your bladder, you might have urinary type symptoms. So location of the fibroids, size of fibroids, um, number of fibroids are very important. And so these are benign growths. They grow within the cavity of the uterus and they create a nuisance in the life of women. In addition to pain, the other big issue is abnormal bleeding. And usually the abnormal bleeding with a fibroid is your bleeding starts, but it just doesn't want to stop. And you bleed, and you bleed, and you bleed. And one of the consequences of heavy bleeding is anemia. And as the result of being anemia, you're tired, you're fatigued, you're not sleeping well, all of those things. Um, enter into it. So, usually we say to women, um, do you have fibroids? And one of the easiest ways to document that, other than by just palpating them, is doing an ultrasound. Mm -hmm. Do you have fibroids? And then, are you symptomatic? Meaning, are you having abnormal bleeding? Are you having pain? Are you having problems getting pregnant? And so, that's how we start to evaluate that. Very common, very common in all women globally, but particularly for African-American women. They say that by the age of 50, 80% of African-American women will be diagnosed, will have fibroids. That's I do huge. have a question, that is huge. So is it, is it like
0: a genetic component? Is it diet, you know, like what, what oh, causes
1: So this is where we start to show are ignorant of fibroids. We really don't know what triggers the development of fibroids. And we really don't know what causes them to grow. A woman might have one fibroid, the woman beside her might have 10 fibroids. One woman might have small fibroids. The other woman might have huge fibroids. We sometimes see it in families, like my mother had it and my grandmother had it, but we don't necessarily think it's primarily genetic. It's not as though you inherit the fibroids.
0: Okay, So because yeah. okay. so, in, in my situation, um, and we, we kind of briefly talked about it a little bit um, before, was I had quite a bit of the symptoms, you know, I had really heavy periods, I was tired, um, but I didn't know that it was fiber related until I went in and had a, a pelvic and an ultrasound and oh, there you go, you, you have this going on. Um, and the the bleeding was so heavy that, you know, it was like, yeah. is this what it's like if you have a miscarriage, you know, because of the the clotting and just how heavy it was, it was kind of scary. Um, but my mama had fibroids, my aunts all have really heavy periods. Um, and so that's when I went on the, the road to search and to figure out like, what
1: could I do? Sure, um, that's a very important point because one of my interests is looking at non-searchable ways of treating fibroids women tend to suffer with their fibroids for a long period of time because they know when they go to the doctor's office, usually there's going to be a surgical answer, you know, and they don't want surgery. So they try to deal with it. Um, In my uh, limited research, I'm seeing that diet does play a huge factor in it. We have seen that there's an association between vitamin D levels and fibroids. Uh, low vitamin D levels, which which is very common in African-American women, um, increased risk for fibroid tumors. Um, We know that there are chemicals that are put in our foods. They're called EDCs, endocrine disruptive chemicals. And these chemicals can look like and act like hormones. And so we are giving our bodies chemicals and hormones, and all of this is a compounding factor. And we also know that there's something called epigenetics, meaning we're born with a certain set of genes, Mm -hmm. but as a result of diet, as a result of various encounters, as a result of medications, we can actually alter our genetic makeup. And so that's epigenetics. So in a sense, it is genetic, But I think a huge part of it has to do with diet. I think that's huge. Chemicals, there was a recent study that said um, black women use a lot of different hair care products. Mm -hmm. And within those hair care products are these chemicals and these chemicals get absorbed into into our system. So we are exposing ourselves through our diet, through our personal care products to lots of chemicals. Sorry. And so we have to look at the whole picture. And from art from a physician's perspective, we have to be able to give women options. And alternatives, and I think we need to diagnose. We need to do a better job at diagnosing fibroids early. I really don't want to see you after you've been bleeding a whole year um, with heavy periods and you're anemic. I want to see you when your fibroids are still relatively small, where we can start to do things that will start to impact on the fibroids and on the size. You know, so something that's a little more proactive than yeah. just let me do a myomectomy or let me do a hysterectomy. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's where I'm trying to go, but it's hard. It's hard because a lot of times we're talking about reevaluating lifestyle and choices that you make in terms of foods, in terms of products that you use, all of that plays a factor in it, so. So you, you hit on a lot of great points. So me being a patient,
0: you know, um, sometimes you do feel uncomfortable um, having the conversation. You, you may feel like, I don't really know what to say. Um, and you're yes. a little apprehensive. So what suggestions would you give to women out there when they're, you know, having this conversation with their doctors to, to feel more confident to get the best health care?
1: Sure. Um, I would first say, don't wait. Cause I find that what happens is women will talk to their girlfriends, they'll Google, they'll try X, Y, and C. And when none of that's working, then they'll come to the doctor and then things will be far gone. Okay, so don't wait, be proactive about your health. Ask questions. If you feel uncomfortable, if you're feeling like you're not getting the information, go elsewhere get a second opinion, you are actually giving that doctor permission to work with you to help manage your health. That's an honor. And that's a responsibility that requires communication. And if you don't have that, that's not the one. Now that's hard to say. It is hard to say because there is this relative power imbalance. You're there with the doctor, but it's your body and it's your health. And so if you can't get your questions answered, that's not the place. You need to keep looking or at least get a second opinion, you know, Mm -hmm. um, about whatever's being said. Yeah. And and it can be challenging. I'm not trying to make that sound simple or easy, but uh, it might make the difference between getting a surgical option versus a non-surgical option it may mean the difference between feeling totally or feeling as though you can't really ask the questions that you really want to have answered. Um, right. And that's not the situation that you want to be in. Right. And I, that, that, that happened to me, you know, and actually
0: I went and got um, a second opinion. And, and I think as women... So naturally, we we always have conversations. Thankfully, you know, we talk to each other, and it was because of a client yes. who sat in my chair and shared her experience with me. Um, you know, her situation ended up being a little bit more severe. However, um, she was able to tell me about her doctor. I'm like, you know what? I need to see that physician. I, I need I Good. need to talk to him, and it worked Good. out really well. Um, we were able to communicate. I shared my concerns and even the vitamin D. I also had a vitamin D deficiency. And months before I had seen an integrative health um, doctor and she says, your D levels are, are pretty low. And she said, I suggest that you go on, you know, this amount of vitamin D. And this is probably a couple months before i had seen um, the, the surgeon. And I had I actually looked up vitamin D and the um, connection with fibroids, it, just, it happened to show up and maybe it could have, it could have been our conversation I found because of that. And I shared that with him. He's like, you know what, thank you because I'm gonna keep this on record here. And this is a, a research hospital um, in my area good, that this doctor good, is at. Good, so I'm good, like, this good. is nice, this is good.
1: Yeah, I mean, for the longest time, we have not had a good answer for women with symptomatic fibroids. Mm-hmm. And so what we would say, when it got too bad, do you want me to take it out? And that was pretty much, for a long time, that was the only answer. And m- many of us have been trained that way, you know? We're gonna wait, and when it gets really bad, I can tell you, I can take it out. Right. And then you'll be so, tired and frustrated with this situation that you're willing to have me take it out and so we just need to change the whole paradigm and part of that means helping um physicians to understand that there are other options becoming available um, we're just starting to do more research as to why you know we were Satisfied, it seems, for a long time, just because, you know, just because, which may have something to do with how we regard women's health, but that's a whole nother issue. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, now, you know, now people are realizing, or now women are advocating, you know, just recently, um, it was um, Representative Yvette Clark and Congressperson. Kamala Harris who introduced a bill into Congress to study mm-hmm. for more research and more study. And that's huge. That's yeah. huge. I mean, cause there's finally the recognition that um, we need to understand this better.
0: Yeah, we do. There's there's so much. And when it comes to research that so you mentioned the word research um, Google tends to be our best friend. It could be good or bad um what about social media you know how do you find answers should I go on social media like what's your take on that
1: so a case in point is hair loss fibroids and hair loss this is a great case in point um and I, I made some notes here because um three women um in 2018 did a retrospective review of medical charts of black women over the age of 18 who had been admitted to john hopkins hospital and so they looked at a total of it was a huge number it was 487 thousand black women over the age of 18 who had been admitted to john hopkins between um 2013 and 2017. So in that four year period, over 450,000 black women have been admitted. And of those women, they look at their medical charts to see first of all, and this, these were dermatologists doing the study. Mm-hmm. They wanted to see how many of these women had um, alopecia that specific is called CCCA a specific type of alopecia, which predominantly affects black women. Basically, you start losing hair at the crown of your head, it kind of spreads out like the, mm-hmm. in a circle. And then the area involved basically scars over. So there are no hair follicles in this area. So there is no hair growth because you have no viable hair follicles. And this, they see this predominantly in um, African-American women. So these dermatologists looked at all of these medical charts to see how many of these women that had been admitted to John Hopkins in this four year period of time had this type of alopecia. And they came up with out of that 487,000, it was 443 black women had this particular type of baldness. And then they looked at of these 444 women, how many of these women also had fibroids? Mm -hmm. And they saw that 62 of the 44 women with the, uh, the hair loss also had fibroids. And then they said, well, I wonder what's the ratio of women who don't have this problem with fibroids? And so when they looked and ran the numbers, they saw that 13.9% of the women who had the hair loss, the alopecia also had fibroids. When they looked at the black women that did not have the alopecia, only 3.3% had fibroids. And so they said, there may be an association between this type of baldness and fibroids, because we see it's more common, fibroids are more common in the women that had this type of baldness compared to women that did not. Mm -hmm. And so their recommendation was um, if you're a dermatologist and you see a black woman that has this particular type of baldness, she should be screened to see if she has fibroid tumors. And so that was the study. But what happened or what happens with social media, you get this information and it starts out saying something like there's a link. There's a link between fibroids and this particular type of baldness that affects black women. And we know fibroids affect black women more often. So there must be an association. So it starts off saying there's a link. And then if you look over time, it starts to say fibers are the cause for this, mm-hmm. this um, baldness. And so the information kind of gets twisted. It's kind of mm-hmm. that, you know, that game where you Telephone. whisper down the lane. By yeah. the time it gets to the end, it's like, that's not what I said. And so that's why the caution is, we all look at social media. We all do medical research using Dr. Google but you need to take it with a grain of salt and you need to have that information research and not just take it on face value all the time. Mm -hmm. And so this is a perfect example of going from women with this particular baldness have an increased risk, or we see an increased incidence. And they didn't even say, we know that the two are related, but we see it's more common with these women. And we don't know the relationship, but it's notable compared to women that don't have it. And so, um, and then I have to say that there have been studies since that particular study said, we don't really see a relationship, you know, cause that was a one retrospective chart review that was not confirmed by another person. Now, usually things only become factual, when you can repeat it and confirm it each time, okay? And so that's, this is a great example of, we have to look at social media, but we also need to have a certain level of, um, you have to show me, you know, you have to prove it to me. We just don't take everything at face value that we see online. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, In I, fact, I, yeah. This, this type of baldness, um, and they've been looking for an answer because not, not everything is well understood in, in medicine, fibroids being an example, this um, specific baldness that's being seen with black women. For a while, they used to call it um, hot comb alopecia. Mm-hmm. And because the thought was, it was because of the hot comb that was being used in women's hair not proven be the case, but people often go back to, it's what black women are doing to their hair. Um, But then the question becomes, even if that's true, why just here, you know, and why that? And so we have a lot of questions. We just have a lot of questions um, that need to be um, studied and researched. You know, and so I think the first study was a great study, but we just can't stop with one study and we can't believe that one study necessarily is true. You know, you may find out that there were confounding factors that made it look that way when it really wasn't the case.
0: Hmm. I'm so happy you said that because I, I've, I've seen it, you know, that study and, and I've actually, I mean, I've shared it with other people and everything and I've, um, Um, you know seeing different stuff and because you do wonder because you you don't know I mean before I had heard the study um, I've been in classes and heard dermatologists say that well yeah it's you know like you said hot comb or it's from you know chemical relaxers um, or it's something that only you know black women give which is not true ctca is seen in, in a lot of people not just black women Um, So it's, it's, you know, that's, I I agree with you. It's important to get the whole story and
1: the background. The whole story. story. I think what um, these doctors did in 2018 was huge. They raised an issue that um, was going unstudied. You know, people weren't paying attention to it. And so um, it's huge. It's a great introduction. It may not necessarily be the gospel, but it is where we start, you know, and where we continue our evaluation and investigation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So so staying on the topic of, of hair loss, like, have you seen that quite a bit with your patients with, with women because of the anemia side of it? Um, has that, or even after hysterectomies, I've, I've, you know, I've had, um, clients being thrown into early menopause. They're my age and I'm in my thirties and they've been thrown into early menopause and They're experiencing the hair fall and everything.
1: That's an interesting question. Um, And to be perfectly honest, it's not often that a woman comes into my office and will talk to me about hair loss. I think we segment healthcare a lot, meaning that um, if I have hair loss, then I'm gonna wait and make an appointment with a dermatologist. Or if I have hair loss, then I'm going to wait and talk to my esthetician or my beautician, and that's not what I go to see the gynecologist about. So we kind of chopped up the human body into these little segments. Like this is what I do, and if it's not, you know, if it's not fibroids, I don't, I don't really, you know, need to talk about it. Um, and so I don't get a lot of complaints about hair loss, doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't happen. I just don't hear it. Um, what I do hear women talking about, and these are usually um, perimenopausal menopausal women talking about hair thinning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, because I really haven't dug deep, is hair thinning a euphemism for hair loss or whether um, it's just hair thinning? I mean, um, associated with the perimenopause and the menopause is dry skin, um, dry eyes, thinning hair. Um, hair loss, not so much, but I may need to do a better job of asking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, like
0: I, like I said, for me, um, I've had quite a few clients that are in their mid-30s, early 40s, and because of situations have medically been Put into early um, menopause, and not really knowing what to do, or you know, the the whole hair situation, and they're really stressed out by it. And so you know, me like I'm trying to find the solutions for them because I know it is some things are hormone, and it could also um, jumpstart something that might be
1: going genetically with them, things like that. So we know that um, with perimenopause or menopause, that there is a decline in hormone levels, specifically the estrogen. And we know that there are receptors of, for estrogen on hair follicles. And so there, is, there are connections, you know, it's like the song, the hand bones connected to the knee bone and all that type of thing. It's all connected. It's all connected. It is incomprehensible to me that there could be a global change, but without global results, you know? And so um, the question is how best to deal with it, you know? Yeah. And so that's how we need to look into, if we're talking about uh, menopause and declining estrogen levels, what can we do? Are there things that we can eat? Um, that will help to ameliorate our symptoms. Mm-hmm. I have a pet peeve with um, I think women are almost held at prey because you can go online and see these wonder cures. All you need is a a pearl, or all you need is a this, or all you need is that, and it'll take care of all your all your female concerns. And I really see it as um, a disservice to women. Mm-hmm. I see it as a disservice to women to say that um, whether it's infertility, fibroids, vaginal discharge, this thing is going to take care of it all. You know, mm-hmm. I think, um, and that's not to dismiss herbs, because herbs work. I mean, that's what we used before we had, quote, unquote, medications. So herbs work. But I think too often in this society, people are quick to wrap something in a package, call it holistic, and throw it at women as a cure-all, a be-all in cure-all. And I think that's my problem. I don't have a problem with herbs, because I believe they work. Um, but I do have a problem with these quick, fast, easy, and all you have to do is send me $29.99 um, cures. And so, yeah. So
0: with that said, because a lot of women are searching for things, you know, like w- with myself, when I was going through that phase, and that transition, you know, I was looking at my diet. Um, I was doing acupuncture, which it did help. It's a slow process, um, but it did help um you know and and some other things and I also was on the hormone uh, replacement but a side effect for me was it caused hair fall it caused my hair to shit out really bad oh Oh. yeah yeah it was it was pretty it was pretty bad for me and that was like part of my whole journey with you know doing something different
1: yeah and this is kind of what gave birth (laughs) no pun intended what gave birth to my current practice. Um, a lot of times we focus a lot on her having the baby, which is important, which is huge. But women have all these other issues that come along, and we need to be paying attention to that. And I think it's like, well, if you're not having a baby, if you're, you know, if you're of a certain age, you know, just deal with it, just deal with it. And I think that's not the right answer. And I also think that one size doesn't fit all. So you have to kind of tailor it to the woman, her circumstances, what she believes, what she's willing to do. And then you just keep tweaking it until you get to something that works. But that implies that there's a relationship where we're sharing information, you know, okay, I'm willing to do that. That didn't work. Okay, let's do this. Um, So it's a whole different type of relationship. It's a different type of dynamic where we are working together, because whatever I suggest for you, you will know before I do, whether it worked for you. You know, and then I need that type of feedback to say, okay, well, let me give you a little more, or let me give you a little less, or why don't we add this, or maybe let's try a different. And so, those are the kind of things that need to happen, but that can only happen in the context of a a doctor patient relationship where you have that comfort level and enough time. A lot of times, there's just not enough time to say everything that you want to say.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is there, There's so much. This has been such a great conversation because I am replaying my experience over the years through my head, and you know, just just seeing like, yes, there is so much. And you know, as a patient, you live. In, you've lived in your body for X amount of years. You know how it, how things should feel. You know when you feel off. Yes. Um. I actually, yes. I took myself off the medication um because well first it started out at um you know a a small like 10 milligrams and and, but my cycles still weren't getting better it's like oh well you can go up to four which is like 40 milligrams like okay perfect but I think it was at that point that when I upped the dosage then that's when I started experiencing with my hair and I didn't know that that was, you know, um, uh, one of the side effects of it until after I, I shared it with him. He's like, oh yeah, that is, um, um, that is something that people do see. I'm like, I didn't know, but I think for me, I'm happy that I went through with the the procedure because my body doesn't actually like hormones. Um, you know, it it prefers that procedure. And I don't know why I waited so long. I think I was scared, but it, for me personally, it was the best option. It was the best option. It was, was a, bit, a successful surgery, very successful.
1: So there are options and, and you are absolutely right in that you need to pick the best option for you. You know, mm-hmm. one size does not fit all. And luckily more options are becoming available. There's the hysterectomy where you remove the uterus, okay? And there are different ways of doing that. You can do it laparoscopically, robotically, vaginal, um, all those different type of ways, but they all have the same endpoint, remove the uterus. Then you can have a myomectomy where you're saving the uterus but shelling out the fibroids. And you can do that vaginally, hysteroscopically, laparoscopically, robotically all different ways of doing the same thing then you have what i call the intermediate procedures like a uterine artery embolization or an endometrial ablation and these are are procedures that can be done that sometimes are all a woman needs you know especially if for instance if she's Almost to menopause, we think it's just maybe another couple of years, and we want to tide her over. Mm-hmm. Maybe this type of procedure is the answer. There are there are medications, a lot of different types of medications. Most of them, many of them, are hormonal mm-hmm. um, to help to regulate a woman's cycle and and there are different ways of taking it. And then there's another medication specifically for a heavy bleeding or two other medications. So there are lots of different options that are becoming available. Um, And it kind of depends on the woman and where she is in her life. Is she um, still young trying to have a family is she older and definitely doesn't want to have any more kids, you know? I mean, so you have to figure out where she is um, in, in this whole scheme and then pull from the toolkit and find something that works.
0: Yeah, so much good information, so much good information. So I, I wanted um, to touch on the topic of food one more time. Um Because there is, you know, I think now um, everything is, a lot of people are going plant-based and there's a healthy version of it and there's a a junk food version of it. Look, uh, uh, Oreos are vegan. I can can have Oreos anytime I want. It's vegan. (laughs) But it's, It's,
1: yeah. Yeah, a junk food vegan, yes. <laughs> um, so I am, I am a plant-based, um, believer. I am a plant-based believer. Um, there have been medical studies that have shown that if a woman will go onto a plant-based diet, her cramps will lessen. Okay. The problem with it, and I have, I have said that to patients, I have had patients do that and I have had them come back and say, my cramps either disappeared or my cramps have gotten significantly better. Know that to be true. The problem is, it's hard to do. It's hard yeah. to do, you know, because we are tempted by all of these things and we want them and we eat them, but you can you can lessen your dysmenorrhea or your, your cramping with your period by um, consuming, plants and vegetables as close to their natural state as possible. Meaning you don't, if you're going to have a potato, you don't want French fries, you know, you don't want to dip it in oil. You want to minimize the meat, including fish. And people go like, oh, but meat, including fish, dairy, including cheese. And that's huge for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I, I say, you know, I, I don't try to convince anyone of this anymore. I say, try it, try it. And then depending on how you feel, you decide, you decide, but give yourself the, the, uh, the mm-hmm. gift of seeing what it's like. Um, a lot of people will tell me that they've done it cleanse And a cleanse is sort of kind of like that, where you stop eating all of that stuff that you know you shouldn't be eating Mm -hmm. and you try to eat better. And they say, and I felt better, and I lost weight, and my face isn't as puffy as it was before. But sustaining that is really the key, you know, and so that's hard. I think that. Food food is huge. Um, Just recently, um, there was a study published in Menopause that said that if a woman added half a cup of soy beans to her food, and the food, again, is primarily vegetables and fruits, minimal oil, no meat and dairy, hot flashes got significantly better. Without taking any hormonal replacement, and part of that is soy, um, is 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 similar in structure to estrogen, mm-hmm. and so your body kind of thinks it's like a cousin. It's like a cousin to estrogen, and so your body thinks, ah, oh, this is this is some estrogen, and so by consuming this soy, and they're in. Um, Instapots are real popular now. And they say, cook it in Instapot and then put it in a salad or put it in a stew or put it in. But just a half a cup every day, symptoms got better. And that's huge because um, the pharmaceutical industry is making lots of money on HRTs. Um, And if you can get a benefit through something as simple as soy and modifying how you eat, That puts you, I tell women, it puts you back in control. I think too often women in our healthcare feeling like things are being done to me. I don't really have a say of what's happening to my body. I can't control what's going on. It puts you back in control. Now, if you choose to do it, that's fine. But if you choose not to do it, it's still your choice. where a lot of times you don't even feel like you have a choice. You're yeah. just being said, this needs to happen. That needs to happen. And, you know. Yeah, I, I never heard that about the
0: soy. And actually it, it kind of um, surprised me because, you know, there's uh, another version to soy that people always talk about that, oh, soy causes this. it You shouldn't eat that because soy, you know, because it is high in estrogen or
1: whatever, it disrupts. Yeah, but yeah. you're saying something there's, different, that's interesting. I know, there's been a, a huge debate about is soy good for you or not. And so the more, and and you're right, if you Google, <laughs> you <laughs> will find all of that. Um, the more recent studies are pointing towards a benefit. Um, and so, but just like any other study, you don't base everything on just one study. It needs to be confirmed and repeated. And, you know, before you say this is truly gospel, but this one study did say that. Okay.
0: Okay. So I think it's given a lot of, no pun intended, a lot of food for thought, (laughs) which is is good. Um, Because, you know, depending on where people live, they can go, you know, farmers markets are really good. There's a lot of ethnic stores like where I live, there's a lot of Asian markets. Um, and you know you can definitely find good tofu and there's what's the other one? Um, um, tofu, tempeh. Uh, tofu tempeh, but there's see, another one. Yes. See, yes. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And so when you're being a purist, and it's probably hard to be a purist, um, you're really focusing on. Um, you're really focusing on fresh fruits and vegetables, beans, and um, pasta. You can have pasta, you know? Mm -hmm. But you want to focus on that, limiting the meat and the dairy. There is a doctor in Houston, Texas, who has been able to help people reverse cardiovascular disease Mm -hmm. uh, by going on a plant-based diet. And this is not the junk food vegan. This is truly plant-based diet. Um, They have been able to improve their medical condition. And what's so amazing about that is that heart disease is the number one killer.
0: Yeah.
1: If you are a Black person over a certain age, I would say, I used to say 50, but it's probably even lower now, you probably have high blood pressure. You know, Um, there's, you're at a higher risk for, we are at a higher risk for diabetes. And those two things, high blood pressure, diabetes, often lead to renal failure and renal failure, needing dialysis, or needing a transplant, that's a whole nother medical problem concern that I don't think anybody would want. And so if you can, if you can control, reverse, limit the effect of all of that by changing how you eat, it's huge. And so when they say food is medicine, that's really true. Food is medicine, so you can either choose to you know take the primarin or eat the soy beans, you know, it's it's your choice, but um, it's a choice that will have consequences, you know, and we're all adults and we all have one life and we all have to live it in such a way that makes sense, but I would think that we want to live a life a quality life no one wants to be decrepit in pain can't move can't I mean so if you can optimize your health then it seems to behooves us to do as much as we can for as long as we can yeah I like that optimize your health control reverse limit you know it's
0: it's your choice you have control. And it's not too late. And
1: I think that was the other takeaway that I got from this doctor. Um, His name is Dr. Baxter Montgomery, if anyone's Mm -hmm. interested. Um, One of the takeaways is that you're not too old. It's not if you're, oh, I'm already 50. It's too late for me. It's not too late for you. You know, it's not too late. You can start to optimize your health today. I like that. I like that. So if women wanted to reach out
0: to you, um, Dr. Rahman, how can they, um, how can they find you?
1: So the best way is probably through the website and the website is www.drrahman.com and doctor is spelled out. D-O-C-T-O-R-R-A-H-M-A-N.com. And then the other way is to send an email. And that is mail M A I L at Dr Roman.com. And it's D O C T O R R A H M A N dot com. Cool.
0: I will post that. And do you have is there is there a way um like if if Uh, women want additional information about fibroids. Um, Is there like a PDF or something that they
1: could read for later? I do, I do have a PDF. Um, It's a very easy read, it's a very simple read. Um, Just kind of um, talking about fibroids, uh, showing a picture. Well, no, there isn't a picture. Um, a lot of women are curious as what does a fibroid look like? Um, I don't believe there's a picture, but we talk about the size of fibroids. And if someone says your fibroid is seven centimeters, what does that mean? How big yeah. is that? That's <laughs> <scary>. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this, uh, a tennis ball is seven centimeters in diameter. Okay. So so if if they say it's, it's the size of the tennis ball, that's about seven centimeters.
0: Okay, that's good to know. So they can go to your website to find the PDF?
1: Yes, well, if not, no, if they send me a, a request through the email. I can, I can then um, give them the link for the PDF. Okay, okay, I'll be sure to share that. I appreciate it. This has been such um,
0: an enlightening conversation and it's more women need to have this open conversation. I think we suffer way too much in silence, um, you know, and we've had all of us at some point have experienced uh, accidents (laughs) and those moments of like, wow, why did I wait so long for you know, to have something done, or I had no idea this was my option. I thought, you know, they have to do a hysterectomy when there's other options or, you know what? Um, not really, I don't think I'm a candidate for hormone replacement, replacement therapy. Maybe I can try changing my diet. So you covered so much information has been so
1: helpful. So yeah. I want to thank you because it's women such as yourself who are reaching out to physicians, trying to find out what is the real deal? What is the real deal? What can we believe? What can we not believe? How can I help my clients that I see? Because we all know when you're talking to your beautician, that's a very special time and place. And um, so the fact that you're taking the time and making the effort is to be commended. So thank you for the invitation.
0: You're welcome. You're welcome. So this will be the end of our um, our conversation. And don't forget to definitely check out Dr. Rahman's website and also um, the PDF if you're more interested in the, the, the PDF that she offers. You so all have a great day.